Welcome to the Razor's Edge. I'm Daniel Schwarzman, joined by Akram's Razor, author at Seeking Alpha, as always. We're swapping slots with our other The Investing Edge show, Values Investor Edge Live, which will be back next week, kicking off another virtual investor forum. So we're going two weeks in a row. The Razor's Edge, we talk about ideas that Akram is following as part of his Seeking Alpha Marketplace service, also called The Razor's Edge. And just his general investing. I bring my perspective as a generalist, ask some questions, sometimes behind the curve, sometimes on the curve, let's say. Looking at specific ideas, market issues, see where we are as investors and traders in 2020. If you're invest if you're interested in more of this discussion, of course you can subscribe to this channel to get the podcasts uploaded. We publish every other week. Or you can subscribe to Akram's Razor's service on Seeking Alpha's marketplace called The Razor's Edge. You just have to type in The Razor's Edge on the search bar in Seeking Alpha or by going to seekingalpha.com slash marketplace. This week's topic, Twitter. The market's still thrashing about for a direction amidst all the coronavirus concerns, but this is a little bit more of a localized story to cover. Elliott Management, the famed hedge fund and activist firm, has been reported to own, I've heard, anywhere between $1 and $2 billion worth of shares in Twitter, the social media giant that hasn't been performing to expectations since basically forever. That would amount to 35 to 7% of the equity, depending on the specific numbers. While Elliot hasn't released a letter, as far as I've seen, or filed a 13D, the focus has been reported to have been on Jack Dorsey, the company's CEO and co-founder, and just where he is in terms of his professional focus, and same said, company underperformance. Dorsey has already started to make some changes and has started to respond and defend himself. So we're going to get into what this means for the company. Is there an opportunity here? And everybody's favorite topic online, how to fix Twitter. Before we begin, a quick disclaimer and disclosure. The Razor's Edge is a podcast on Seeking Alpha's The Investing Edge channel. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast that we don't cover right now. I'll say just in the social media world, I'm along Pinterest, P-I-N-S. Akram is as well, along with Facebook and Square, which is Jack Dorsey's other company, We'll see what else we cover. Neither of us have positions in Twitter. So Akram, good morning. Elliott Management, big activist fund, obviously probably the biggest out there these days. I can't think of the last time a big tech company was a target of an activist. The, the, The name that came to mind, I didn't do full research, was Microsoft. I think Value Act had a position in them. I can't remember if that was when Balmer was still there or if that was in the early Nadella days, but it was, this is... it was to get Balmer out. Yeah. Which okay. worked pretty well. Pretty, pretty well, pretty well. So, uh, any other precedents? And what do you think about Elliot showing up on the scene here? I mean, it's, it's not a tough one to argue with uh, uh, an underperforming stock. Well, I mean, we can get into that because that kind of argument is fizzling fast, but him running two companies, it, it's going nowhere 
since IPO. It, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's actually surprising it's taken this long. Right. I mean, it's been it's been in the air for a while. Nobody's investors can't say that they've been happy with Twitter except for the occasional earnings move. I mean, that's a pretty straightforward thing. Yeah, basically, it's a great volatility stock for earnings. Uh, so buy ball on earnings, sell it afterwards. Right. So it, it we don't. It's I haven't seen much about what Elliot actually wants. It seems the most obvious thing is they want Dorsey out. Is that? Have you heard anything else as far as what they're looking for here? No, I think that's just the general argument. Is uh, Dorsey's priorities aren't there? This company needs a full time CEO. And his Africa trip slash move, which ironically he's walking back this morning. So good timing on us deciding to schedule this today, yesterday, because he's out. Yeah, I, he said with the coronavirus and whatever, and yeah. I think he said everything else going on, he's not well, going to be spending time in Africa. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think it's... Uh, he even walked back the, the the rationale of his move, which either he he's claiming was misreported and that he's you know he was going to Africa because it's a large addressable market. You know he wants to kind of get his feet on the ground there and 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 tap into it. I, I don't know exactly what he's focused on there, where you got to get you know average revenue per user up in the U.S., let alone in uh, more developed international markets before you even really remotely think about Africa, but. Right. And it's, you know, one of the points about everybody's about to be working remotely, it looks like, and I've, I've worked remotely for the last seven plus years. I feel like you, you generally tend to be not location tied and, or have been recently, but that, you know, one of the points I heard raised by a critic that we'll come to later probably is the time zones is a big challenge. And that's, I think that's legit. That's probably the biggest challenge of working remotely is if you're not in the same time zone. Well, yeah, he's going from like being able to walk from his square office to his Twitter office in a few, a few minutes to, uh, you know, different time zones. And I mean, I've dealt with that, you know, living mm-hmm. internationally. I mean, it's, it's without a doubt. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a no brainer to come out and be like, listen, you're running two companies. That's just not going to cut it with the way your stocks performed. Now you want to run two companies from Africa. I mean, even the Square shareholders should be should be, should be concerned. So he's already pulled that. But that's but that stock's been been working, right? So I mean, it's uh, you know, and I'm long Square, and uh, I mean, to me, that just has had really underperformed, and Shopify's valuation versus Square has just made no sense to me but with twitter i mean i've traded twitter since it listed and i mean i would i've gone through all the twitter stories so when i look at you know sing elliot and singer coming in or scott galloway who's who's really gotten in, involved in this <sighs> slamming them i'm just like i mean i mean i went through this when uh, you know it was mark beanoff trying to buy twitter and and then it was Disney, right? Both of them at the same time, and and remember they they skewered Beanoff when he when he thought about buying it. 
And I mean, the, you're talking like roughly around where it's trading, right? I mean, the bid was supposedly like 32 to 34. Stock is $33 pre-market. That was 2016. Back when it was trading at, I don't know, roughly half this price. Right. I mean, the argument is that obviously the shares, like, I mean, I think Dorsey came back in in, mm-hmm. in 15. So the stock is essentially down, let me see, about 2% since since he's been CEO. Which compared to the market, the NASDAQ and Facebook is significant underperformance. Yeah. So, I mean, we've always looked at it that way. I mean, I've always looked at it that way, right? I mean, Twitter has reach that doesn't translate into the valuation and money-making that it's, I mean, I guess the comparables are Facebook and Google that people like to like to throw out there. Although we can make this argument, you know, looking at it today and where it's at and where other things are at, maybe this is kind of a pointless, I mean, getting a full-time CEO, there's, there's no doubt that that is... Uh, the way to go with a company like this and no matter what it was doing you you have a decent argument on that but the valuation and reach performance argument it's we, we can we can argue now that that's not nearly as compelling as as it seemed in the past so i i want to get into what's wrong with twitter and what would be i mean dorsey's time is obvious and the stock performance is obvious and we can come back to the valuation argument. Well, I mean, let's start with the basic thing that it was extremely overvalued when it listed. Right. I mean, I shorted this thing when it listed and I mean, it did shoot up to like 70 and then, you know, it was like a straight line down, but it wasn't an easy short at first because this thing came out of the gate almost before anybody. Right. And it was in that window where Facebook had its issues and then turned and they kind of both went different ways. Well, so I'm I'm trying to pull up the parallel charts. It went it listed in late 2013. My memory is that Facebook by then had sort of found their footing. Facebook of course famously listed at something like 38 or 42 dollars a share did not get any pop, dropped all the way down to 16 yeah, teens, I remember teens, saying, yeah. oh, 16 would be a good price to buy and never bought. But that was – so it got down to the high teens, and then sort of the rest has been history more or less. They figured out mobile, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, look, there's good stories on the background. That, you know, Zuckerberg was freaking out that this whole transition to mobile, they may they may not survive it, right? Right. Like That was that their was, threat. Uh, that was the argument in, in, in the early days and whether they'd be able to monetize on mobile the way they were on desktop. And I mean, obviously, you know, that story is a moot point. Everybody's been able to monetize like no tomorrow on mobile. And the whole ecosystem essentially shifted there. So it wasn't a problem. But yeah, that's what killed. That's what crushed Facebook. And of course, remember, Facebook made great acquisitions. Twitter did right. it, no, and so and Facebook starts to you start to see the takeoff happen in sort of the back half of 2013. I can't remember, but it's quite easy to connect those dots and say Twitter coming to the market. Sort of the there was renewed excitement in social media at the time. But I think your point is 
Twitter was a, a very overvalued stock at the time. And that's obviously whatever else we say, that's compressed a fair deal. Like they're not, they are a profitable company at this point. They trade for a market multiple, I think, earnings wise. So. I mean, if you look at where things are today, when I was, when I was very bullish on Twitter and even earlier, what about a year ago or whatever it was, the, the gap was huge between them and, you know, Pinterest IPOing and trading in the thirties and Snapchat trading in the thirties, right? That was when you had this dynamic in these social media driven type stocks where the valuations were extreme. But if you look at it today, I mean, uh, Facebook is like a 450 billion EV and about to do 80 billion in revenue with, you know, 40, 40% margins and growing the top line 23, 24% or whatever. So Facebook's trading at, at, you know, roughly five times forward. Twitter, you know, revenue estimates are like, you know, 4.3, 4.4 billion for the, for the coming year. And it's trading what? Like uh, 23 billion EVs. So like, again, like five point something forward, right? Pinterest, right? Again, we're back down, call it about an 8 billion enterprise value expected to do 1.5 billion in revenue this coming year. So, you know, again, right around five, five X sales, right? And Snapchat's obviously been coming back down to earth as well. So is it even cheap anymore? I mean, well, Pinterest is going to be growing a lot faster. Facebook is still growing faster than them. Facebook, obviously wildly more profitable than them. So the disparity isn't where where it was and then i guess the reach argument because if you go back to 2016 i mean this thing when it was trading 13 14 dollars it was a huge difference in terms of multiple and it was you know still growing faster on the top line and even at early points in 2018 when on fire then we can even go back to you know that window after it dropped on its earnings last year and these names had started IPOing again it was relatively a cheap outlier but now i don't know that that argument exists considering the problem well but that's i guess that's where the activist argument uh, because what i was going to say is that you look at the problems saying dorsey dorsey and the share performance are actually two opposite ends of the spectrum. The share performance is the output of whatever internal problems they have. Dorsey's lack of focus may or may not be the cause of those problems. The problems is, are essentially, as I understand, that they're failing to grow fast enough, monetize fast enough. If you look at you know, the last couple of years, just pulling up the, the financial statements in the 10K, they've grown something like 20% and then 15% revenue the last two years. They've turned earnings into meaningfully positive and again, not rocket, not hockey stick growth. And there's this feeling, I think, of what you're maybe not valuation to reach, but the old eyeballs thing is I think actually here is that we have people's attention on Twitter. And it's again, to our point, what we talked about on the Pinterest, and I think you made this point, Pinterest is not on wall street's radar it's not in the workflow 
Twitter is in everybody's radar on Wall Street specifically, and then it's also in everybody's radar in the media. And those are arguably the two biggest users of Twitter beyond activists, let's say, or politicians. And so it's very salient and it seems very obvious that this should be a huge company. And so that's what I think people are pointing at saying, if if they're not a huge company, if they're not growing at these enormous numbers, and I, I want to come back to this because I, I think there's a gap in this, but if they're not growing the way they should be, something's wrong. And then you look, okay, it seems pretty obvious that Dorsey is not focused enough. He's got to go. Or I guess you could argue he's got to let Square go, but that's a separate way at the same idea. And so I guess that's it's still it's still not clear to me what actually is causing them to not grow fast enough. Like, well, look, you just made you you just nailed it. So uh, there's not much else to say other than the fact that maybe the people who are following it have a bit of tunnel vision, right? Because I mean, I've been in that view as well on and off for a long time but run the numbers i mean what is twitter's reach twitter's reach in the u.s is i think 30 million monetizable daily active users mm-hmm. right significantly lower than snapchat which is what is that now like a 12 billion dollar ev company and significantly lower than facebook obviously I think the last time they reported the the monthly is before they switched the reporting metric. They had three hundred, some three hundred thirty million, I think, or three forty million in Q one of twenty nineteen monthly active users. Right? What's Facebook like? Two billion? Yeah, I think. Yeah. I don't know, is Facebook two billion daily? Even? I mean, I don't know. Is it monthly? Or I daily? don't have that on the top of my head, but it's it's a. We can pull that up. So, so, but I mean, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but like seven, 300 million times, what is that one? Let's call let's call it one sixth Facebook. And you got an EV of like 30, so you, you know, you, you could be 200 billion or something, right? But they don't have the identities of people. Facebook, by the way, is 1.6, 1.6 billion daily active users in Q4. And 2.5 billion monthly active users. All right, so there you go. So multiply Twitter times eight, and right now it's let's say just recently it's been around 30 billion. That's 250 billion, and your Facebook EV is like 450 mm. billion. Okay, and Facebook has the daily engagement. So when you get into the daily engagement, Twitter's daily engagement is. 100 million. Facebook is what? 1.6. Okay, so 16 times 30 would get you to the same valuation, right? It gets you about 450, yeah. 450, 480. So, I mean, there you go. I mean, I I know Scott Galloway is obviously super active. He's podcasting. He's on Twitter all the time. He relates to it that way. So does everyone in the financial world because they're on Twitter, right? But step back, it seems like there's a rest of the world, a ton of them who are not there. <laughs> it's it's one of the things I love about being on Twitter is every so often people will talk about how much better Twitter is than the other social networks. And it's I don't know that I guess you see that a little bit on Facebook. 
that's in that's that's in Galloway's argument, right? He's he's like Twitter has has is net positive for society, unlike Facebook, which I don't know. I mean, I'm a person who has used Twitter for a long time, but has been really active on it for let's call it the last year. And I'm also a person who, by virtue of being really active on it, have had to follow, you know, the president and a lot of related stuff because the politics is really intertwined with the market. And I mean, it definitely gives you a negative vibe that I don't come away with when I'm on Instagram. <laughs> you know, I don't get I get on Instagram and I see, you know, friends traveling or doing whatever, and it's fun and, and family members and. On Twitter, if I, if I click and open a comment section, I'm just like, oh my God, what is going on? Like, how people really think this? People really think that? I mean, there, there's there's a lot of negative energy on Twitter. So the saving grace is what? That they don't they do not do political ads? I mean, and, and Mark Zuckerberg has been stubborn on this topic. I mean, you know, it's funny to sit there and read Sasha Baron Cohen tweeting that Facebook is scumbags because they're getting, uh, they're, they're not, uh, filtering political ads, but they're willing to do this for coronavirus, right? So he's like, you can do this for this. Why can't you do it for that? Oh, because you want to make money. And mm -hmm. he tweets that. And it's just like, all right. <laughs> like this platform seems to like, I mean, I don't know if there's a platform out there that isn't more in this, uh, call it from a political standpoint, uh, noise-making propaganda machine for use. I mean, you want to talk about propaganda? I mean, it, it is it is the president's it's where he spends all his time going after and undermining the entire media apparatus that existed before. Everything in the mainstream media is fake, but what he's saying on Twitter is real. And that's where he says that really loudly, you know, to the tune 20, 30 times a day. <laughs> And I mean, you've had interesting stuff also happen on Twitter lately, right? I mean, they kicked Zero Hedge off, right? And that's pissed off a lot of people. And I mean, look, I've been a Zero Hedge fan, you know, since it started back in the financial crisis. I mean, I've even written stuff that's been posted on, on, on Zero Hedge. But Zero Hedge does do, like, I mean, some sensational posting. There's no denying that, right? The headlines versus the actual content. Uh, and it's a business. And albeit probably a pretty lucrative one in terms of uh, advertising. And you, you do wonder how these decisions are, have to be run at a place like Twitter in terms of when you get into the Twitter penalty box, and they don't clarify that. That's obviously a big deal. But I mean, there are times where I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll click on a zero hedge headline just recently, maybe the last two years, and I have to drill down into the content and then do some searches just to be like, all right, I mean, this is not what it seemed to be when I clicked. Yeah, on it. I did. I found somebody I like on FinTwit retweeted a zero hedge link that was about a quarantine of a brothel in Spain. And then I looked it up and near me. And so I was like, oh, that's weird. I haven't heard anything about that in the Spanish news. And I figured it was a satirical site that made that joke. And so... Yeah, it's not anyway. I, I, zero hedge. We could go. I think it illustrates the challenges of Twitter. But what I, I think Galloway is an interesting character to talk about in this context. I like Scott Galloway. He's a professor at New York University. We've talked about him 
a little bit before and he's a he's become increasingly high profile and i don't agree with him on everything but as i said last time i respect anybody who brings it and is sort of brings some support but you know you as you become more visible you have to we were chatting about this you kind of stretch yourself a little bit well yeah the whole problem of when do you have time to actually really focus on the things if you're doing multiple podcasts and you're in the media and you're on tv and you know it becomes a lot harder to be doing the research and work behind the most interesting things you, I guess, would want to highlight, right? right? I mean, we could do a podcast every day, but we wouldn't really get much substance out of it eventually. We would have to just become more entertaining. And he is super entertaining. I mean, I listened to the uh, Kara Swisher Pivot podcast with him. He's mm-hmm. he's a funny guy, you know? I mean, he, he brings a mix of... Uh, Charisma, character, humor. Uh, he, you know, he can be loud and and, and jokestery, and he ties that to interesting ideas uh, around tech and finance. Right, and then and I also I listened to their most recent podcast to prep for this, and Kara does a nice job. She plays she she does a good good job calling. She plays mom, and he calls her mom. <laughs> calls right? her, calls him out. You <laughs> right. need that. Um, but I think what is interesting, he he published a letter which we syndicated on Seeking Alpha as well to the chairman of Twitter, Omid Kordistani, uh, in December, which was a bit, which was essentially saying that the company's not doing well. Dorsey needs to go. He's just not, you know. And he's consult. He's disclosed that he's consulting with Elliot. So he's wor- he's working he's working with Elliot and getting paid, I guess, to 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 make this noise. And I mean, he's also concluded that this is it's already game over. That Jack's going to be gone in less than than a week. And I mean, he's very possibly right. But the argument he's laid out uh, is an argument that you know, has been made about Twitter for forever. It's not like Twitter hasn't gone through a huge turnover in in the upper management echelon, you know. We started with Jack, and then we had Evan, and then we had Dick, and, you know, then back to Jack. It's had multiple CEOs, tons of CFOs, right? And so here's here's where I want to make my – because I like Galloway a lot, but I I feel like his argument is pretty hypocritical in the context of everything that you've raised about Facebook, which – I, I don't agree with you about everything about Facebook as a company, but I do agree that there's a disconnect. And here's here's what I find discomforting about this to a large degree, especially given that Elliot has evolved, is that the f- criticism of Facebook essentially amounts to they care too much about growing their business and they don't slow down to fix everything else that's going on in their ecosystem. And you look at Twitter and they appear from the outside. It's true. They don't change very much. They're a decently profitable company. They're not like they're not blowing shareholder cash. They've they're thirty times free cash flow, but they're something like eighteen times uh, trailing twelve months earnings. Like they're growing. They're gro- as I said, they're growing at thirteen percent. Which at the end of I'm not trying to defend them, but at the end of an economic cycle is not all that bad. Obviously, they have missed opportunities, and you can argue about. You know, they need to be doing more on disinformation, whatever else, but they have tried to take some stands, whether or not you agree with them, with it were to be not not mentioning the not political advertising, whether it be things like removing even notable accounts like Zero Hedge, 
whether it be things like that they're I think they're the ones who are testing the idea of pointing out actually this has been a debunked claim that shows up on the tweet. Like they are they are making for me they're making as many changes at the margin as Facebook it has. I just feel like there's a sort of it's hard to I know we'll come up with some ideas. You had shared something with me yesterday that I think is worth sort of going on as far as how they can monetize, but they're kind of being hit with a stick for not being as good as Facebook. And yet if they were to be as good as Facebook, they'd be hit with a stick for being just like Facebook. And I just feel like it's a really for Elliot, I don't think is doing this. You know, Elliot is a more directly, you guys should be like Facebook. I I suspect, you know, they're more of a activist hedge fund. I mean, Elliot is a ruthless activist. I mean, there's been great articles written about exactly just how hard they're willing to go to make money. So the, the other thing with Elliot is, and we, we, we can't really say how much it plays into part of this, but, you know, Singer is a big Trump, Trump supporter and that there's some people think that this there's a political angle here, right? I mean, look, if you go, if you go back to it at the end of the day, Twitter, Twitter does seem, at least from a notoriety standpoint or, or being covered for deactivating or punishing more righty criticism, right? That's the argument, you, yeah. You shut down like a James mm. Woods account. You, you you shut down a zero hedge, right? And you're not doing the same thing to, let's say, extreme lefties or Bernie bros or, or whatever, Right. I think what's interesting about that is is that maybe it's I guess my other argument here is that maybe it's not as easy as it looks because think about every time Twitter floats any change. What's the response whenever they even when they rate went to 280 characters which was going to end how Twitter was. The response I think is always two things is don't change anything. I'm quite happy. And where's my edit button? And that's like all anybody ever says when Twitter does anything. It's not easy. So I think what's interesting about Twitter's user base is it is a diehard base and diehard bases are kind of tough to deal with because you're not, you, you're going to have that rabid loyalist, but if you do make changes, they're going to be upset. They're going to say that they love Twitter, but they're going to complain about almost anything. I just think that it's, there are ways to monetize that, but then, I don't know, we were talking last week about capitalism from a macroeconomic scale, but from a microeconomic scale, like at some point, if you're looking for, you know, a healthier capitalism, it doesn't jibe with, oh, but you should be doing, I don't know. I just, I feel like there are some, I'm not defending Twitter. I don't really, I also get negative energy when I'm on the site. I learn a lot from Twitter. I, it's enriching in some sense, but it also, I get mad at myself. I think I spend too much time on it. It It is addicting. It is successful at what it does. But I just feel like there are some latent contradictions in the argument here. Not necessarily Elliot's, but I also think this is probably harder. This is not the layup that people think it is to make Twitter better. I mean, Galloway... Galloway's arguments on on the Pivot podcast were not very. It was like, oh, you could do an AI sentiment stuff, and that AI sentiment stuff, you sell it to like five hedge funds, and then it, it loses its value because everybody has it. 
And so it's just Correct. one of these things where I I think, yes, of course, a full-time CEO in theory should be better. I, and the other, I'll stop ranting with the other thing is that you, I, I wonder if you have any thoughts about employees seem to be excited about Jack and trying to get the word out. Some of the, I saw Paul Graham tweeted positively. Obviously, Elon Musk tweeted positively. Like, I, yeah, he's got, he's a, good got a good, he looks, you know, <laughs> he's, he's in his cryo baths or whatever he's I mean, in. Come on, Elon, come up with something better from a shareholder <laughs> the, uh, controversy defense standpoint. I don't know. You know, uh, at the same time, I remember just like recently, uh, it, you know, uh, Jack asked Elon, "How do you fix Twitter?" That's right. And it's you like, well, that. are you t- are you going to are you are you, t- are you telling every single person in the activist community that it's broken? But that's what I, everybody <laughs> wants to fix. Twitter. And you're and you're asking you're asking Elon Musk for advice. Yeah, who ha- has his fair share of people? I mean, before the stock run, right. who you know generally believe, and they still do today, even more, despite the fact that you know it's now it was what two x Twitter and. Now it's been as high as 10x Twitter almost. There you go. I I think we've got an answer right there. Tesla should buy Twitter. That's yeah. Elon Musk. He's shown he can run two companies or whatever. He's running like five companies. He can just add another one. Yeah. Make it six. It's no big deal for him. And he's, you know, probably in terms of CEOs, the by definition most recognizable. He he seems to get Twitter culture. He does seem to like. Get the replay game, reply game, and everything else. Yeah, retweeting, <laughs> engaging trolls, messing with them, dealing with customers through Twitter, everything. I mean, yeah, he definitely is a person who, who would have a ton of view on the user experience. Yeah, at least bring him yeah. in as a consultant. What do you, I, I, what do you think will happen here? I want to ask how you would fix Twitter, but also, what do you think is actually going to happen in the next weeks and months? I, honestly, I mean, we, we we had this reply today. If you had asked me about this and we didn't have coronavirus and we didn't have this free fall in markets and uh, we, you know, Facebook is trading down another 3% pre-market, you know, Pinterest has given up its gains and t- Twitter popped last week and is, you know, holding around $33, right? So... Let's think about this from a pure shareholder standpoint. Should Twitter's valuation today be higher if Jack Dorsey's out? The answer is no. Meaning there's no obvious upside to removing him. There's no value creation to bringing in a new CEO immediately right now that is patently obvious in the stock. I think the the stock right now, compared to its peers is being priced at a premium. It's, 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 there's an assumption here now that it's it's going to make some things get, get better. And we've seen over time how long that is that that hasn't happened. Right? I mean, we just went through two two core arguments, which I think Scott's laid out and probably is in, in the singer mentality that over this window of, of the CEO, you've underperformed, Right? drastically in compared to these companies and the S&P 500, okay? And this was something that I related to, but I mean, it's like he came in, it fell off a cliff, and he's made some progress about stabilizing mm-hmm. and riding the mm-hmm. ship, right? And this has coincided in, in, in the Trump era. 
there's some controversial things tied to it, but we just did the math. You know, you've got 100 million monetizable daily active users, and Instagram, I mean, uh, the Facebook ecosystem has 1.6. Snapchat's got more. Uh, Pinterest is growing at the rate they're growing, and, and has and shown decent unit economics, and it's trading at, you know, 4.5 times forward with 30% revenue growth guidance. So you've got the same multiple as Facebook, who's been hugely investing in content monitoring and infrastructure and taking, you know, 55% EBITDA margins down, but it's still 40% margins and growing faster than you. So what the reach argument is, like you said, more of a function of, who's looking at it in terms of the media and political context and financial universe. But in terms of the daily lives of people where advertisers want to be and, you know, know that this person is this age, went to this school and did that. Twitter doesn't have that information. It has it on some people, but for most people, no, you know, you're using handles that are anonymous and anonymity is a big deal on Twitter because people say a lot of things on Twitter that they don't want to be held accountable to later in life. So I, I personally think that well, that goes back to this whole, you know, that it's so drastically underperformed and this thing's been around for so long. Like, what are you going to do to change it to get more people in on it at, uh, around the planet? And I, I, I don't think there's remotely an easy answer to that. I think that what they have to do is make more money off what they have today. And and the potential ideas to make more money off what they have today all come with a downside caveat of even shrinking their existing base further. So Akram's Razor, congratulations. Elliot has installed you as CEO of Twitter, replacing Jack Dorsey, <laughs> uh, based on your long career as a tech investor and following the space. What are you doing? Uh, what are you doing in your first year to turn this ship around? Uh, I'd shut it down and say I, I'm doing this for the for for the good of society. <laughs> yes, <laughs> was, no. Um, you know, everybody like the few people in our category who love it as a finance tool. Uh, the president who it no longer has to deal with any media that disagrees with him, etc. Will not be happy neither will celebrities you know but they they, they can still monetize their brands mm-hmm. on instagram but for uh you know those of us aspiring to build our brands through getting our opinions out there and sharing our critical and and many times uh harsh views on twitter uh we'll have to find something else to do with our time have an help us and and we're more likely than not to be just slightly happier. A little bit more productive too, I think. I think more productive is really the the name of the game. But okay, assuming that the board was isn't really looking to go the martyrdom route. No, I mean, obviously we're kidding. But I mean, uh, in terms of the value, there's no doubt that this is in in three industries, let's say politics, news, uh, entertainment, and finance, call it four, a very hugely bene- like beneficial tool. 
for people involved. And there should be a better way to make money there, right? Because if you build a brand and you get it going and you develop these Twitter followers, you you do get to a point where I mean, like, look at Scott Galloway. He's it's it's you know a professor who gets active on Twitter. He starts. He has his little blog that he's been sharing his ideas on for a while and criticism and like he's very opinionated. And from Twitter and putting his views up there is starts doing a podcast and now he's launching his own podcast and. I mean, it's it's an open door for monetization if you if you're if you're in that, and it's the same it's the same thing in terms of the political j- journalist, whatever you want to call it, pundit. You get eight hundred thousand followers, and then my new book's out. Come listen to my podcast, and you know share your views. It's a way to make money. It's a license to print money, right? It's free promotion for you, and the audience is there, and they don't make incremental dollars off those people, really. Right. Right. I'm. I'm. I'm essentially. It's essentially your publicist, and it's free. So the the argument is that once I become, once I gain that audience, I am then bringing you back to Twitter to check out what you know. Give a trivial example. Even though I I have chosen not to follow him, I will occasionally go to Twitter.com/slash Bill Simmons to check out if he's got anything to say about the latest Celtics game or something. So that's in theory, that's the value that he is bringing to Twitter is making me actually want to go and see what he's saying. Correct. But I mean, at the same time, it's value for him, right? He has a book, he has anything, you know, he promotes it there for free. Of course. It's a pretty, yeah. I mean, I I try to think about it just, you know, a good comparison is, is your guys' business, right? I mean, seeking alpha market currents versus, where news breaks on a stock, right? How has Twitter not been able to figure out a way to have a subscription-driven tool for traders? Like, why hasn't it, speaking of the election, you know, why hasn't it killed Mike Bloomberg's business, right? The Bloomberg the Bloomberg terminal, when I first started using it as a trader, its value to me wasn't necessarily in the analytics and screening functionality, and I'm not I'm not doing fixed income, so it's not like I'm trading over it. Uh, was in the news breaking, right? They highlight stuff in red, did breaks, you know, financial news, political news, and then individual news on stocks, and it organizes it. You know, I I, I search on a ticker and I put, I search the news that's come out on a certain ticker, right? You can do that all now on Twitter. And I mean, it's it just needs some better filtering tools. And I mean, we've we've seen it. We've seen things like stock twits and FinTwit and, and and these things, where they go in this route. But like, why hasn't Twitter turned what goes on? If if you're an activist short seller, you get on Twitter and you tweet that you're coming out with a report, right? And then you post a link to that report on Twitter, right? And you start breaking the news on Twitter. So. You see a lot of that that goes on on Twitter, right? I mean, take a Muddy Waters and just recently with like NMC and all these. I mean, the whole thing is being waged on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it's just putting my Seeking Alpha hat on for a second. I would say that I have made the argument internally that Twitter is actually our biggest competitor, just in terms of attention and that, and in terms of content, because yeah, I think it has. For a you know, Muddy Waters was big, independent of us. Citron, I think, built a audience independent of us. For for a lot of people, 
Seeking Alpha used to be a great way to gain an audience because we have developed that distribution channel and audience to go. And now Twitter kind of replaces or competes with that. Take exactly take Twitter take Twitter away from the you know Muddy Waters, Citron, and Spruce Point, and and, and these likes, and you you've removed something that that when they break something instantaneously moves the stock, and that's been at least for a degree part of the of the business model, a big part of the initial business model, the positioning around your thesis, right? And people, I mean, I guess algos and people in, in the financial community you know, being programmed to follow those feeds and trade the stocks that these people tweet about. So they make no incremental dollars. I mean, it's a, and when you think about it, it's a really high value demographic and they will all pay for it. So, so how do you charge them? Do you, do you charge, if, if you get to a certain number of followers, this is what I was thinking, you charge the people who have built a huge base on Twitter, a premium subscription, and you add in, you could either take away some things, you know, like, hey, I want to I want to link to my podcast. I, I want to link to a new book that, that I, I've released versus just putting it in a tweet, right? Like, come check out this podcast. And I just want it to be sitting there. I'm, I'm on my page and I'm still promoting the tweet. But if I'm over, let's say, 100,000 followers, I charge you $30 a month. And I start adding tools for you. Right, and maybe I do have like a a, a model for a, a journalist, a module for a subscription tier for people in finance, and I add just some functionality that they, they can leverage. What I mean the, the 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 balance with anything subscription, and remember, once you go subscription, you do get that multiple expansion, right? And the I think the the trick for them is how do you do that? without losing users from the, the core advertising model that you're going with, right? And it shouldn't be that hard. I mean, there should there should be a way they can do a free tier and a premium tier for, let's say, the like the verified users who this is their free publicist, right? They're using it for business purposes to monetize. Right. You're not going to charge the president, obviously. Uh, but, you know, if a company is putting stuff out, I mean, think back to when when Vinoff wanted to buy it. And he was thinking about it from a CRM data tool standpoint, mm -hmm. right? You know, you've got all these these companies and when, you know, someone has a bad airline experience, he gets on Twitter and, and he starts tweeting the airline, Right. Or he starts tweeting the restaurant, and from a customer service standpoint, obviously it became like it, it's it's not very hard to see that. Hey, I'm the world's largest CRM. There's a lot in here that I can do with this if I want to be able to monetize the data and marry it to it with the CRM. That like that had to be his angle. I mean, maybe Mark is maybe one of the best people out there to kind of explain his rationale because I mean, at the time you had. Salesforce and essentially Disney, right? Two very opposite. Like we get Disney is looking at this from media news, right? And Salesforce is looking at it from a purely customer relationship management standpoint for enterprises. 
So you got two ends of the spectrum who I think had different views. And I mean, obviously Disney from a brand standpoint, I'm sure, I'm sure if they got into it would say that it was just too risky and they're probably very happy that they passed. But Salesforce is, is a different angle. And I, I do wonder what he would think today because he, re he really did think about it and he really, he really did think it, it made sense. And maybe it was just a splash to a degree he was looking for after he couldn't get LinkedIn. But there is that, there is that concentrated demographic on there where there's value. I think what's interesting, you had, when we had talked about Pinterest, it's funny that this is the, now the third social media focused podcast we've done, but it also illustrates this. You had talked about the Twitter problem, which was essentially this, that they haven't figured out how to get where they want to go. And when we talked about Pinterest, we talked about, well, actually, what's interesting about Pinterest is that it's more action specific, so you can see how it integrates into commerce more. And I actually wonder if the way to think about this is actually more as the Facebook curse the Facebook problem where Facebook has been so successful at gaining your attention. And we did talk about the other ways that they may monetize more and more down the line, but they've really just built up such an attention stream and they've managed to do it in a number of different ways, whether it's through buying Instagram and grabbing your attention through that and then sort of knocking off Snapchat as necessary whether it's through the classic Facebook information stream, whether it's through and adding the news feed, which I don't remember if that was before Twitter existed or after, but is was an important development for them rather than static pages, whether it's buying WhatsApp and going into the messaging business more and more. They've really grabbed your attention. And so that allows them to think really globally. They don't really have to develop what is our finance strategy or what is our entertainment strategy. Whereas Pinterest, as I said, is really driven by your individual interests. So it's more action. It's more actionable. And Twitter is really like you almost wonder if the issue is that they need to have a finance team, as you said, an entertainment team, a politics team, and really just think, how do we make this product monetizable, but the best product it can be for these subsets rather than how do we think about our ecosystem as a whole? Because there's you know, that's the joke where there's, there's FinTwit, there's, um, activist Twitter, there's, you know, black Twitter, there's whatever other types of communities that sort of spawn out of Twitter and thinking about it from a global perspective may actually be detrimental to them figuring out how to grow their business and serve their, their customers either on the user side or the advertiser side or whatever else. I wonder if that's part of the issue here. Yeah, look, verticalization, I think you have a good point, is is something that they need to focus on and, and others really don't, right? They need to be, they have industry-specific uh, potential upside that's that's been untapped. But this is the thing, I mean, like, let's say you replace Jack, right? I mean, it's not like they're clueless mm. on this topic. Uh, and it's clearly something that would require a certain level of experimentation that they have discussed internally. I mean, look, I've talked to, to people who've worked at Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, when we go back to the profitability, there is a counter argument that they have not nearly had to invest in the infrastructure that Facebook has had. Right. So 
if they needed to get to the point where they could be significantly more generate significantly more revenue you're going to take a hit on margins that essentially that earnings are really overstated because they haven't changed it that much and they've taken kind of this it seems you know hands off not clear approach to how they how they manage how they police is the right word the behavior on the site right and Facebook is essentially has a very clear approach on what they're doing there. I mean, they've got their algorithms and then they've got people and thousands and thousands of people reviewing content. But I think that's also what's Facebook is, let's say, the online town square where anybody can come and you can. And because of that and because they make enough money through their advertising and whatever else, they can afford to build in those structures. And then the argument is, did they build their town square too fast without thinking about this? Do they, are they too powerful? Like, I think that's where the criticism comes in more than the the specifics of the investments that they've made since. Whereas if you think about Twitter, I guess that's, because that's your point, which I agree with that Twitter's game is not user growth. Because it's, you know, I I can say that every time I show Twitter to somebody who is not following it, whether it's my wife, uh, other people, my family, like they just don't really care about it. They don't understand. And I didn't care about it very much until I kind of joined for professional reasons. And then I kind of have more and more figured it out. But it's not something if you're outside of those verticals, you don't really need to know what's going on right now. And you can still get you can be on your iPad and you get fed Apple news or whatever else. Like it's not really clear that the speed of Twitter is so necessary. And so. Without a question, I think that's changed a lot too, right? When you think about it from the earlier days, you know, you, you would, you would think you would hear more about Twitter in the sense of what, like what a celebrity said on it or what an athlete said on it. Right. I mean, I don't know if this is just a bias in terms of the, the because I've gotten so much more into it from finance and politics that I I now I hear far less about you know X Y and Z tweeted this and he got himself into trouble and so on and so forth and it was it was either a celebrity or a professional athlete occasionally something from like an Elon Musk right a CEO but it it wasn't and if if you go back also to politics, you know the Arab Spring, things like that, where Twitter played played a major role, and oh, they shut down Twitter in this you know authoritarian country and, and whatnot. But today, I feel like it's more the president is tweet. I mean, there is no doubt that the president has changed a lot of dynamics with the way he uses Twitter, right? You you never see him. In the White House press room. I mean, just recently, that was like the first time I'd seen him in there in ages. And when you think back to trading and markets, you know, you're watching CNBC, and you know, once a month or whenever, you you would see the president speak at the White House, or you'd see the press secretary talk about something that's going on that's relevant relevant to markets. But now it just it, he breaks it on Twitter. I mean, if think about the last year. Remember when he went on a on, on a tirade on China, right? So all U.S. companies have to leave China, and before you know it, the the markets, you know, 
down a thousand points. The hereby ordered flash crash of last summer. Exactly. So you you do start thinking about it more so in terms of that bubble that it's kind of shifted and you do you do make a great point it's like part of the problem is when we discussed this before when we discussed twitter and i mean i guess my views have somewhat changed a little bit about twitter because the valuations of all these online advertising stocks have come down and it's been like it's been a slow multiple compression in the space to the point where now you look at it and you're just like it's not it's not hugely underperforming anymore right it's just kind of if anything, it's expensive if I compare it to Pinterest, you know, much faster revenue growth, the runway doesn't have any of your right. problems. You know, there's no politics, there's no trolling, negativity, all that, the, the, the like, like the microcosm of what the, the uh, Facebook, you know, negativity is and how Twitter basically to these to this day benefits from the people who are picking on Facebook as a primary and kind of skirting in underneath behind them and not getting the the mainstream uh, heat that they were getting because if you think about it when you go back to when facebook was a love stock and before there was all these people picking on on mark uh, zuckerberg and everybody that he'd bought leaving and 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 criticizing him afterwards whether it's instagram or whatsapp founders and and so on and so forth twitter did have the criticism of there's too much negativity on Twitter, mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of shifted to Facebook has been used to undermine democracy around the world. You know, it's been leveraged by uh, dictators and authoritarian regimes, and uh, it was used to hack the election. And, and Mark Zuckerberg doesn't care about any of these things. And, uh, and I mean, I, I do think Galloway did point out that a lot of the the let's say and i don't know what it's backed up by i'm on it when he did write his his remove dorsey letter he was saying that the type of russian interference is is now moving more from a, a facebook ecosystem into a twitter ecosystem mm -hmm. right that wasn't that was something he highlighted that twitter has more of that to be worried about and than it did before but yeah i mean if if you do put it all together they they went from their core problems being really highlighted to Facebook getting the negative heat around, let's say, a version of these types of problems and them kind of skirting underneath that to the point where, well, they're just so drastically underperforming. But now we look at all these stocks and they're all trading at five times revenue, it seems, and everybody but Twitter is growing much faster. Mm-hmm. Right. And the Twitter profitability angle is one where it's like, look, they got to invest now going forward. And that means that if we look at it on a trailing basis, profitability is inflated relative to looking at it on a forward basis. Particularly if you're going to start to try to make changes to get revenue growth back to where it is. And then we make we make the reach argument. Right. And we've we kind of dissect into that reach argument and you say, well. Yeah. Just like you, you pointed out early on that there's a disconnect because the rest of the population is so much more active elsewhere and you got to pull them from those places. And for them, 
maybe politics and these things don't matter on a daily basis. And it's not a surprise, mm -hmm. right? Because what, what are people spending their time on Instagram? And I don't know whether this o uh, overlaps, but going back to the whole celebrity and athlete thing, if they're, if, if they've moved into, if a Kim Kardashian and, 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 and a LeBron James and these people are, are, are who maybe had been more active on Twitter in the past are now doing more of their social activities and relating with their audience and through an Instagram, which they share a video, uh, pictures of some of what mm. they're doing and whatnot. That's more of a cleaned up managed environment, right? Right. And they can still generate the same controversy if they post something, a rant on Instagram or something and the comment sections go off. But it's within that type of, you know, connect with the fans and followers ecosystem than before when it was just Twitter. I mean, remember, Twitter did try to experiment with video. You go back to the, the short form Vine. video with, uh, what was yeah. it, uh, Vine? Yeah. So they've they've tried a lot of things. I mean, they've uh, there's no doubt they've had a lot of acquisitions that failed or, or didn't turn out as they'd expected. Uh, or at least you could just say they haven't they haven't hit the home the, the home run grand slams that uh, Zuckerberg was able to hit with Instagram and uh, and WhatsApp. And maybe the reason he couldn't do they couldn't do that is because well he was already way more profitable and had the flexibility. And maybe it's not the question of they, they lack the vision to maybe take themselves closer in that direction. They didn't have the resources, you know, first mover advantage. He beat them to it. So I think we're sort of at the same general conclusion, which is that even if it's obvious that a full-time CEO, assuming a good CEO would, would be able to allocate more attention and that would be a good thing for a 27 billion dollar company or whatever it's still there's there's really not that much other easy money here is there if tell me if i'm wrong on that and then is there anything that would get you interested in twitter either long or short in the you know through this process i mean the hard thing about answering this question is what can, it, it, are there problems internally in the way it's being run? And so far, that does not appear to be the case. You know, we're not hearing that it's a complete mess mm -hmm. on the inside. Okay. Now, that would be that would be really important to me from an activist standpoint if Jack is splitting his time elsewhere and internally things are not getting mm -hmm. done, right? But it seems like the, the the plan internally is don't mess with the product too much, right? Mm -hmm. They've they, they've tried, uh, or maybe they've experimented and they've considered the risks. Is it a company that needs to take significant risks? Is that that that's question one to answer? Because if you're an activist and you come in the in here and you bring in a new CEO and you think this is just going to translate into an immediately higher stock price, well, where valuations are today. There are more compelling things to buy that it w would seem to have an easier path as far as continuing to execute on their growth and thus should command a premium multiple to Twitter, right? And Twitter no longer is trading at, you know, half the enterprise value to sales multiple of everybody else in, you know, online advertising, social media, et cetera. So you've eliminated, if you've, el if you've el eliminated that discount, why why would I chase the stock here? So Elliot's got to either have, he's going to 
drastically immediately improve execution internally, which is a problem with a new CEO, because we can't sit there and say a new CEO is going to come in with this just amazing, you know, product vision solution overnight, because there's been plenty of CEOs. They've had plenty of time to try to do that. And these guys understand the product. They, they know people who understand the product very well. And that hasn't generated some easy fix solution. So that's number one. Number two is an activist coming in and replacing the CEO with a new CEO or, or getting rid of the staggered board and, and a new board, a catalyst for a sale. And it's still, it ha- if it hasn't been bought yet, and now it trades at a valuation equal to everybody else who's doing online advertising, but with its own bundle of problems and growing far slower than all of them, who's going to buy it here? Right. Who wants this headache? Google doesn't want it. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to see a, a, a Facebook or Google in, in that sense. And there's obviously, we'll go back to the monopoly arguments in social media. So it would have to be a media company. Disney is not touching this right now without question. Yeah. What I mean, an interesting one in the past would have been News Corp, but it can't do this mm-hmm. deal. It's too small, relatively speaking. So who who buys it? A foreign company? They're not going to allow that, you know, an Alibaba, a Tencent, Chinese. Yes, a Bloomberg. Just got nothing better to do these days. No, I mean, actually, you know, they were talking about, they were talking about if Bloomberg were to win, he would sell the company. And I think the valuation they pegged it at was something like $60 billion, I think was the, I can't remember the exact, it was, you know, a 12-time EBITDA multiple maybe. But the yeah, I mean that it's actually an interesting. I don't know what Bloomberg specifically synergistically gets out of it because I my understanding is they incorporate with I forget what the intelligence Bloomberg or Bloomberg I, I they have something that incorporates Twitter pretty well into their ecosystem anyhow. So there's not a ton of yeah, they're another they're another player, you know, farming yeah. and filtering it and and charging a subscription service which goes back to part of the problem mm. right because you've got that data up there that's that's being tapped and what are you going to do if if i can sit with my bloomberg terminal and it, it filters out the noise on twitter and brings me in the value on twitter i mean that's what you guys essentially do with your market currents right i mean i eliminate you manage to eliminate all the useless stuff and be like X, Y, and Z is doing this and it's causing well, stock right. to move. So for most traders, that's more relevant than trying to follow it all on Twitter because it's it's, it's not set up for them to be able it's to do funny. that. I've thought this before over the years and it's funny. I, I don't know anybody inside Twitter and I don't, I, 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 I'm a user, but I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a power user or anything like that, but it's funny to look at Twitter. I see a lot of Seeking Alpha and our challenges in Twitter's challenges specifically as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking, I have my Twitter feed up and I'm thinking, well, you could disable cash tags unless you pay for them. And so that way you can't really filter for the cash tag or whatever, but a people will stop cash tagging and B, like it's, it's a tough spot to be in as a business where you build something and then you have to kind of take features away. And with seeking alpha, we, you know, for, people who are not aware, which I doubt at this point, if you've listened this long is, you know, we essentially built out a 
site-wide paywall in 2018 after a couple other tries at monetization, one of which we are both, you know, you as an author, not an employee, but me as an employee, I oversee our marketplace, which is one way of monetizing. But there are some perverse incentives and trade-offs to the user experience but if you were just, we are not big enough company to just remain an advertising company without having its own challenges, which is that you have to play the always publish about the big stocks game or whatever else. And so there are these trade-offs and there's not, there's not a lot of easy money that doesn't come without tough choices around, okay, well, some of our, you know, if you go and say everybody over a hundred thousand followers, I don't know how big that universe is, but probably probably enough to be an interesting business and you charge them $30 a month and you, you know, you do the math or even $20 a month, but some of them are going to leak out to Instagram and like, there's going to be some, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting and does, and that's where Twitter is probably has more goodwill with its user base. If Jack Dorsey stays, if Jack Dorsey stays and says, no, we've got to make tough choices, but we're going to do this to make Twitter a better place. And it's almost, it's sort of the New York times pitch of I'm asking you as major publishers to join with us as we, you know, try to make this better. We are going to need your buy-in this and that way. Like it becomes a, you know what I mean? It's, I think that's, we're circling around the same idea that this is not a layup. Yeah. It's got, I mean, you know, I tossed around with you charge $40 a month, you know, on let's call it five hundred thousand to a million users. I don't know if I haven't even seen the statistics, but like let's think if you think about every corporation, brand, person, celebrity, journalist, etc. Maybe it's maybe it's a million people. Maybe it's half a million people. I don't know where it's at uh, in terms of of the Twitter ecosystem. Let's say it's half a million people, and you charge them forty dollars a month for their presence on Twitter because it's part, it's essentially, you know, uh, like having a, a PR firm that works out to, you know, $20 million, call it, you know, $250 million in, in annualized profit. It's not going to cost you anything, essentially speaking, and it's support, but does that really move the needle? Not really. Right. So, I mean, maybe let's say if the statistics were different, but I don't, I, I, I can't imagine of the, of the 30 million daily active users that you know 10% of them are in the category of let's say over 100,000 followers. Yeah, I tried to do some quick research while we were looking up and got some brandwatch.com said something like 58% of top brands have over 100,000 followers on Twitter. And that's where maybe that's even how you slice it as you say, if you're not a personal account, you have to pay. And that, you know, that for example, excuses individual politicians, but it like, yeah, there are ways you can think about it. It's interesting. It's an interesting way. And then you get into the tools you can offer, whether it's embedding videos more easily, whether it's uh, promulgating your tweets. I mean, I guess they already do that now a little bit with your promoted tweets, but. Yeah, I mean, there are ways to think about it. Yeah, it's a, look, it's a buy-in element. But it, like you said, there isn't an easy answer. So I, I feel like I'm in that camp where I've switched over the... the I, I started at it from a pure financial standpoint with... At, I almost feel like I, I connected to 
Scott Galloway's current argument several times in the past, right? You go, it had it had little to do with removing Jack Dorsey or a new CEO. It just had to do with the fact that, geez, this, this thing is so re- relatively cheap compared to uh, its reach. But we've kind of just shown that reach-wise right now, that's not really the case, right? If if you have one sixteenth Facebook's daily active users and you're trading at one sixteenth Facebook's EV with a fraction of the margins and Facebook having 20 times your revenue, you're not a steal. <laughs> and, right. You know, and if you're trading, if you're trading where you're trading and Pinterest is growing four times faster and you guys have the same EV to sales multiple, you're not a steal. So, and Snapchat is roughly there with you. So you're not a steal. I mean, they're, they're, at least they're getting there, I would say now. What is it, that $12? It's definitely still the most expensive on, on, on an EV to forward sales basis, but still growing the top line way faster than, than everybody else. So that's that's where you struggle with it here. It's like, how how does a financial activist move here make the argument that there's all this value to be unlocked? All you can really argue right now is the CEO is not focused and he's given you low hanging fruits for that. He's CEO of another huge company and he, you know, was talking about moving to Africa, which again, so on the, on the shelf. And it's interesting as you, you know, and we're, the market's opened as we started recording and we're down again another three and a half percent or so. And it's, you know, how many of these plans are disrupted as the market is re-pegging itself? And as we said, I mean, if you look at Facebook where it's trading right now today and Pinterest and Twitter, you should be short Twitter. (laughs) Right. I I would have never thought of saying that at, 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 at this price before, but now it's like Facebook ain't 225. It's 175, and Twitter has been. Well, where is it right now? 32, it 33, 33.75 pre-market. Okay. It is now at 32.77. Okay, so that's still 10% off of where it was three months ago, two months ago. Yeah, yeah, it's still right. So I mean, it, it was trading in the high 20s yep. a few times, and when it was trading in the high 20s. Facebook was, you know, around 200, right? And it got up now just recently to like 36, 37, while Facebook got as high as 220. So, uh, but what's happened in, 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 what's changed in this window from when I was so keen on this in 2016 is when I was buying this in 2016, it was $15, mm-hmm. right? And these other companies that it's competing against, have grown much faster in that in 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 those three years and gotten much bigger, right? So the the disparity in terms of scale with them has grown, and they've grown into their valuations, right? And Twitter, to a degree, with its appreciation and optimism about its underperformance, has now kind of outgrown its valuation relative to how it's growing compared to those peers. So it actually really needs to start significantly accelerating growth to make the argument that I want to buy it today over these other companies. 
And it's just, I mean, you could look at it and say, when do things shift around Facebook or in the broader space? Because, and we discussed this last time, and I've discussed this with several people when I look at these stocks, because, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm now down on Facebook, which is irritating. And, you know, Pinterest is back Mm -hmm. down where it was. And these look like value plays, you know, when I was justifying my positions in them. So if you can't make money there, you have to have balls of steel to be in Twitter here. Because why can't this turn back into a, you know, a $22, $23 stock again, <laughs> even if you remove Dorsey? So I, I'm definitely of the viewpoint because I, I, we, we just went over something. And I think, I, I think for the listeners and just in our back and forth, like I think we, we did segment into the case that we were trying to essentially make, or at least I have in my head on many times about how Twitter can monetize better is one where seeking alpha and a Bloomberg and a FinTwit and a SockTwit and so many others have come in and tried to filter and, and turn into a more specialized uh, curated product of what initially comes off of the Twitter. So if I want to pay a subscription revenue, I want to pay it to someone who's taking that content and giving it. So like it, it just works maybe for such a small niche of I'm an activist short seller who has built a brand over time and I can drop my tweets on Twitter and I need Twitter for that. Because if you take that away, what do I do? Like post a link to a YouTube channel, start a Facebook group, you know? Because <laughs> other, otherwise I'm going to have to pay a Seeking Alpha or someone to promote my stuff where... Where I, I can't build my following by myself on there in the the same manner that I did on Twitter, and I, I have to operate within their regulated infrastructure where there really isn't one for Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can just drop a thesis on a stock, and they're they're not going to do anything to me. They're not going to ask questions, and the editor's not going to review it, and so on and so forth. For the record, we don't accept payments to promote. I think we have published one piece of sponsor content and we're exploring that, but that's more for like Vanguard or whatever, but we do. Yeah, we do editorially review and make you go through a process. And so. Exactly. Which for, for, for them, I mean, look, even when I have submitted articles and and you go in the back and forth process, I mean, it's a process. And I think for, for if you built a brand identity somewhere else, you just drop it on Twitter. Yeah. Twitter's great. Yeah, you just drop it out there and it functions. And I, I, it's the same thing for these media organizations. Twitter is tangential, right? I mean, it's a, a free way of promoting themselves and they're just leveraging it. But where the money is being made is off the advertising, you know, on a Fox or CNN or, or MSNBC, uh, off the books you write and, and so on and so forth. And you're not going to be the type of person who really beyond maybe if they charge you $400 or 500, like you would have to charge them a lot of money to make it. Value. You'd have to say, you know, you're going to pay me, this is, you're getting so much value out of this. How do we figure it out? I want, you know, $10,000 a year for you to have a Twitter presence for those who really are taking advantage of it. And that's hard. So I guess that's why it's been a struggle. And 
I guess that's why this this doesn't have an easy conclusion. I mean, Scott Galloway seems to be uh, very convinced it's over, and he's been very loud about it. And I think maybe that's why Elliot has him engaged, and that this was over before it started, and and Jack's gone. But for shareholders, uh, you know, maybe this is an opportunity to lighten up Twitter and own something else, because it it's not a value on reach, it's not a value on profitability right now, really, to tell you the truth. If you look at it objectively, and uh, it's not a value on growth, and it's also not a value on, uh, in terms of the controversy that exists in the space, it's kind of been able to duck under the radar on it, and these things will have to be dealt with more. So we don't really know how how it pans out in terms of why why a zero hedge account was taken down and how other ones aren't. They like they have to they, they have to be more clear about that as far as how the content's put out there. Yes, like putting a somewhat sensationalized headline uh, is, is something relative to the content that, that, that you should be managing. And Twitter has every right to, to extract uh, restrictions if they, if they go in and say, well, this is unacceptable. But they need to clarify it because there's clearly a lot of people who do it who don't get restricted. So. What are the parameters? What are the triggers? How do you police that? And I feel like if they had to do that on a really uh, Facebook level scale, they don't have the revenue base to justify those costs, right? At which point you open up the Pandora's box type of situation of like, well, then really you're even less attractive than we thought because you're making these decisions very arbitrarily and that becomes political and that's where maybe you can come up with a counter argument that you know or if you want to be in that camp that that singer is not happy with the types of accounts that get restricted there and they want to put in a ceo who makes that more transparent and you get a ceo who does that and then all of a sudden the debate rages again on, well, Twitter is becoming a site for a lot of sensationalized, not regulated content, and someone needs to regulate it. And they're not that profitable, and they got to spend the money to do that. And if they spend the money to do that, then what happens, right? And then you're talking about, you know, reducing the enterprise value significantly. And then we go back to the whole struggle of, of these social media companies and why multiples of all of them seem to be compressing relative to software businesses where it's just easier. So if I want growth, let me just go, you know, buy an Atlassian or a Salesforce and not worry about the problems that occur in this world till they're, till, till they're, till they're dealt with. Because there's just going to be a regulatory minefield from now till the end of, till the end of time, it seems, or, or till the political atmosphere cools down and who has visibility on that okay let's leave it there i think it's um i mean would you buy it here that's my that's that's a question that you know we all yeah i i don't think i would i i think i'm still experimenting with trying to figure out pinterest but i don't think i'd buy here i think it i think the problems 
it's interesting to me the problems Twitter faces because I think it is we've already talked around it a lot, but just if you believe that Twitter is should be important and that it is an interesting that that these issues matter, then these are really interesting problems to solve, I think. And I don't think that's the financial I, I wouldn't come at that from an investor perspective, but it is an interesting thing to keep in mind when looking at what Twitter employees say and looking at how Dorsey defends himself and where this plays out over the coming coming weeks. But yeah. I mean I think we can agree from a user engagement or let's say just general usage standpoint that after all this time the the addressable market on terms of people who who could be using twitter on earth is not going to be growing there's not there's not free there's no free money out there no yes so it's not like this this hundred million global daily monetizable users like that's not a number that's going to be moving significantly higher so when you compare that to a facebook and 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 you look at the the argument is that there is a plateauing element in terms of of the penetration and unless a facebook unless things that a facebook is doing or a snapchat is doing or now a tiktok Mm -hmm. right are, are taken away and or, or essentially regulated away and it, it, and force people into having to choose alternatives you're you're stuck in terms of twitter in in your very strong engagement demographic of people who are interested in, in you know politics news and, and finance and that's a ca- that's capped, and we've we've now gone over a, a lot of the struggles of making money off of that, which is why probably through you know three CEOs and countless CFOs, uh, they haven't cracked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where as easy it is as it is to go from fifty percent to one hundred percent CEO. There's not really a lot else that's obvious here, so. We mentioned Google, which I'm also long. Any other you met? I think you you're still long Salesforce. Are you still long Salesforce? Okay, so Salesforce yep. came up. Disney came up. I'm long Disney. It's becoming a increasingly <laughs> tough tough <laughs> position, but so I guess stressful. you could say that about just every about everything in the market these days. I mean, just about everything, but like a cadre of software stocks. Yeah, right? Zoom. I mean, it's it's happening pretty quickly now. I was getting very yeah. Well, I mean, oh, Zoom's okay. down today. I didn't look at after it. after yesterday. I've been following Zoom because you do Zoom is like a liquidity uh, inverse ETF on what's been going on the market so far, and like you you do wonder when that normalizes because their earnings were interesting. They they didn't really see any. Uh, there's no real contribution from Corona yet, right? Because of the free mm-hmm. usage. So, I mean, they did give a guidance, which was, I mean, I was looking for them to get to a billion in revenue this year before mm-hmm. Corona, right? And they've guided you in the 900 to 915 range. So it looks like, it looks like if they have a really good year, they're, 
they're going to come in just just around or just under a billion, which means the stock is pretty friggin' expensive. Right. There's, but that's that's been where uh, so far. I mean, Slack was trading higher yesterday than it was pre-corona. So there's been there's been a few of those uh, names to hide out in. But if you're an economically sensitive name, the banks uh, and anything in travel leisure i mean stock prices have gone nowhere now for several years right which is which is which is a tough thing to ignore and we can get back into maybe corona some other time because but it's it's definitely looking like it's it's going to be changing the economy for several months warranted or unwarranted yeah, I mean it's it's you know, it's a it's a good it's been a while since we've had to go to check these get a lot of red for more than I you know we had the Q four two thousand eighteen I guess but that's really the only. I mean the Q four two thousand eighteen. Yeah, was that bad. was pretty bad. That was fair, and that <laughs> was a, I mean, sustained. We did, we did like there was that was the same. You really had things get decimate, decimated pretty quickly. Yeah, that's fair. You almost do wonder if they just if the Fed had done nothing, then that you would have allowed the market to just rebound on its own, because there was no there was a point December twenty fourth eighteen where you just looked at certain stocks and you're like, there's no there's no way the rate that we're declining can sustain because the stock market will be wiped out within a month. It won't exist. So. When you get to stuff falling that quickly, uh, maybe just from a policy standpoint for the long haul, you're better off not interceding and letting it letting it do its own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's the you know that's one of the big arguments is that the intervention sometimes doesn't let things run its own course. Okay, let's let's stop it there. We next time we may still be talking about coronavirus, and so maybe we can get back into that. But good stuff. I I didn't I didn't think we would end up here, but I thought that was a good cover of Twitter's issues and how this isn't as easy as uh, Elliot Management or Professor Galway, who probably I will tag on Twitter when we post this. Maybe he'll maybe he'll come on the podcast and we can talk about this a little more. Thanks, Akram. Good stuff. All right. Thank you. Take it easy.